This morning's Bible reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 1 to 8. First Corinthians 15, 1 to 8. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as one abnormally born. This is God's word. Thank you, sir. Morning, everyone. Morning. Happy Easter. Just let me get myself ready. Um, a member of our church this morning has given me some Easter eggs and invited me to be the pastor bunny. <clears throat> I said, sorry. She said, would you like to be the pastor bunny? And that's to hand out these Easter eggs to the children, the boys and girls. So... I guess if you're over two and under three, <laughs> if you're over two and you would like an Easter egg, when will we do it? Will we do it at the end? Yeah, let's do it at the end. For you to get an Easter egg, you have to come and tell me something that I say in my message in the next 20 minutes or so. So you have to listen. <clears throat> bribery yeah well okay um yeah i say a lot that's right so you only got to remember it you don't have to remember it all just got to remember something one of the key points and you're sitting next to your sister so you can help her who's a lot older than you our bible reading this morning is going to come from our second bible reading is coming from the gospel of matthew and I want to read to you Matthew's final chapter, chapter 28. Um, and then we shall begin. We'll pray and start. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. And his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, don't be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. And then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now, I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. 
They came to him, clasped his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews, even to this very day. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen. May God bless his word to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word, for your spirit, and for the salvation that we have in the risen Lord Jesus. Thank you that on this day we get to celebrate that, but to be reminded of it, and for our nation and world to be informed of it again. I pray this morning you'll give us ears to hear and minds to discern and hearts that will be accepting of that which is from you. Take us, Lord, mould us, shape us, that we might follow Jesus closely, that we might be an assistance to those who are seeking the truth and haven't found it yet. Lord, open our eyes and help us to see. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. This morning's message I've called Risen, Creative. And you'll see that this chapter, Matthew 28, which is where we're going to focus this morning, and occasionally I'll duck off into other little parts of the scriptures, but primarily where we're going to work our way through, particularly the first paragraph, which is about the angel. Uh, It's the women as well, but it's that first 10 verses. And it's really the women, while they listen and while they do testify, there's no record of what they said. It's all the testimony of the angel to the women, which is verifying the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Uh, The second paragraph is about the guard, uh, which is an intriguing story. And Matthew is the only one who tells us that. And it's a recording of a lie. And it's the lie that actually establishes the truth. It's interesting, which is why I'm sure Matthew included it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And then always in the gospel accounts, whenever you have the teaching of the resurrection of Jesus, it always leads to mission. The resurrection, the reality of Jesus being alive leads to evangelism, leads to us telling others, come see the place where he lay and now go and tell. Go and tell his disciples. Trust you can see that clearly. That's the name of the man that David was almost alluding to way at the beginning when he invited us to respond to Christ is risen and to stand and to declare that he is risen indeed. Nikolai Ivanovich Excuse my pronunciation, but I'd say that's Bukharin. 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 Thanks, Luba. 
He was one of the communist leaders back and part of the uh, Russian Revolution back in 1917. Wrote some books on economics and political science. You can still buy them on Amazon. I looked it up. So he's still read today, an influential leader, part of the political uh, party and an inside trader. He was uh, an inside dealer, rather, in, in communism and uh, was the editor of their paper. In 1930, he travelled from Moscow to Kiev, where he was to give uh, a lecture. He took an hour where he was defending atheism and he was particularly aiming at Christianity, hurling insults at it and arguing against it and ridiculing it um, and dismissing it. At the end of the hour, the crowd sat there in stunned silence. Bukharin surveyed the crowd. Any questions, he said. Silence. And then one person got up and moved to the platform, came to the front and said in a, the very ancient greeting, which is typical for the Russian Orthodox Church, to the crowd, Christ is risen. To which the crowd then stood and they spontaneously replied with, he is risen indeed. It's a magnificent indication of the speech of Bukharin didn't make any impact at all. I have to change his name. What if Jesus hadn't been risen? Well, in that passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul picks up that argument. Some people in Corinth were, in fact, uh, struggling with, uh, is, is the resurrection real? Wasn't it a spiritual thing, not a physical thing? And isn't it past? And all of those sorts of things. The Apostle Paul writes to them very clearly. He says, listen, if the resurrection's not true, if Jesus Christ did not come out of the tomb, if he's not risen physically from the grave, your faith is meaningless. You're believing lies. And in fact, you are propagating lies because you're going around preaching the gospel where we declare Jesus has risen. If Jesus hasn't risen, we're still in our sins. We have no hope. And in fact, of all the people in the planet, we are the most to be uh, pitied because we've been fooled and deceived if Christ is not risen. But in fact, that's not the case at all. The evidence we have for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus is not scientific. What we do have is historical witness made up of eyewitness testimony and circumstantial evidence, which is more than enough, which is what most of our courts uh, use today. We do not have any scientific or even historical details of what actually happened in the tomb. Nobody was there and it's never recorded. It happened. The consequences afterwards are recorded for us. That's the eyewitness testimony and the circumstances or the consequences that flow out of that. So the testimony and the eyewitness accounts that we do have is very solid. We're going to look at just one of those this morning. Before I get into that, I want to make a word of comment about the Gospels. If you read through the Gospels, you will discover that there are discrepancies. Matthew tells us that two women went to the tomb. Mark tells us, I think, four went to the, or three went to the tomb. Maybe it's Luke who has four and John has one. They don't agree when they tell their story. Well, how many women went to the tomb? How many angels were there? One says there was one angel. Somebody says that John says there were two angels. Matthew says the angel was on the outside. Mark says the angels were on the inside of the tomb. John tells us one was at the head and one was at where the feet were of the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> The good thing about that, because there is discrepancies, ought not to discourage us, but ought to encourage us. 
because what that means is the early church absolutely refused to suppress the differences of the testimony. They wanted to be true to the sources that they were quoting and telling the truth of their experience about. And lawyers who have looked at the gospel accounts over the years, many of them have been so influenced by the evidence and by the credibility of the evidence that they in fact have now become followers of Jesus. One of the most famous, there are many of them I guess, but in my, one of the most famous that I'm aware of is a guy called uh, Dr. Frank Morrison, who wrote a book called Who Moved the Stone? And he started to research, he, he approached it from his legal training perspective. He took Matthew, Mark, Luke and John as eyewitnesses and he sought, sought to interview them, to grill them, to investigate them. And as he did so, he was staggered by the consistency of the testimony of what they were giving. Some of the details may be different, but on the essentials, they're all consistently the same. Just like he would write, uh, if you were watched a car accident today and you had four different people on four different corners and they were to describe the accident, their testimony would have discrepancies in it. There would be differences. They would not all tell the same. In fact, if they all told exactly the same story in exactly the same way with exactly the same amount of details, you would be very suspicious that this is a conspiracy. They've got together. They've fabricated this. But because of the differences, it in fact lends credibility to the authenticity of the testimony. Um, we can go into a lot more detail on that. So if you want to come and talk about that, you can. And you might get a chocolate. Um, and so I, I, I like doing this sort of stuff, and I did a little bit, a little bit of it on the back of the bulletin today. Um, if you try to put the thing in order, and it goes something like this. Now, this is my reading, and so we don't have all of the data, so we can't be emphatic, but it's something like this. On early Sunday morning, the women get up to go to the tomb. One gospel writer says it was dark. One gospel writer says the sun was coming up. Another gospel writer, Matthew, says it was at dawn. Well, that makes sense. It was dark when they got up, and as they were going to the tomb, the sun came up. So when they arrived, it was dawn. That makes sense. That's the sort of thing you can do with all of the gospels and all of these accounts that were given. The women go to the tomb. The women see the stone is rolled away. Um, they, it is not recorded that they see the guards, though the guards must have been there somewhere. I assume. Um, Mary Magdalene, it would appear, doesn't go all the way in to see the tomb. She doesn't see the angel. She doesn't mention that. And she immediately assumes they've taken the body. She runs back, leaves the other women there. She runs back to find Peter and John and says to Peter and John, they have taken the Lord away and we don't know where they have laid him. She doesn't assume resurrection. She assumes the very normal, natural thing. The tomb is open. Someone's taken the body. That's what she assumes. And she, along with the early disciples, had no expectation at all that Jesus was going to rise from the dead, even though he told them, even though he told them very clearly. They did not expect it, just like you and I. Dead people don't live again. That's our experience. That was their experience. So Mary Magdalene's gone off. The women are there. Now the women meet the angel. If you read Matthew, it sounds like he's on the outside. Uh, he talks to them, they go inside, when they go inside another angel turns up, now there are two angels, they sort of repeat the message and say it to them, they leave, they're told to go back and tell the disciples, when they're going, Peter and John come running some other way, somehow they don't overlap, um, they come running, the women are leaving, Peter arrives, John, John arrives, then Peter arrives, then Mary Magdalene arrives, 
Peter and John leave. They see the empty tomb, they see the grave closed, but they don't yet believe. They didn't yet understand from the scriptures that he would rise again from the dead. Mary Magdalene's there. And she turns and hears somebody and thinks it's the gardener. It turns out to be Jesus. And Mary Magdalene is the very first person to see the risen Lord Jesus. She hugs him rather strongly and passionately. And he corrects her and says, don't, you know, you can't hang on to me like that because, you know, I'm not here forever. Things are changing. Uh, And then he sends her to go tell the disciples. As she's on her way, Jesus leaves the garden and catches up with the women who still haven't arrived at the house where the disciples are. Maybe they took the spices and the linen they had. Maybe they went home and dropped that off first and then they were going, I don't know. But anyway, beautifully, Jesus encounters the women, greets them. They hug and hold him. He gives them exactly the same message, go tell the disciples. So now Mary Magdalene and the women arrive at the house and tell the disciples, the 11. Thomas is not there. They don't believe them. The disciples think, nonsense. It's not true. Can't be true. Later on that afternoon, Jesus will appear to Peter. We we have no record of that account, except that we are told that until Peter, and that evening, he has appeared to Peter. Uh, Then Jesus meets two on the Emmaus Road, and then they come running back. And that night, the two on the Emmaus Road, the 11 disciples minus Thomas, the women, Mary Magdalene, and all the other women are there, plus Jesus' uncle, Cleopas, plus some other relatives are there, and then suddenly Jesus appears in their midst. That's the first Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. There are something like 10 appearances uh, that we have in the Gospels. And Pastor David read to us from Corinthians about the other appearance the Apostle Paul gives us, uh, where he appeared to his brother James and so on. So that's sort of the order, the sequence of what happened. Then Jesus will appear again a week later to Thomas in the upper room, and then we have no more record. And we simply read in Matthew's Gospel where they travel to Galilee. And in Galilee is probably where there are 500 people who are gathered. And the 500 who see Jesus worship him, but as Matthew says, but some of them doubted. What we're not sure of is what did they doubt? It just says, but some doubted. I don't think it's their doubting that that's Jesus. There's a couple of possibilities. One is they doubted that Jesus had actually died because they weren't in Jerusalem. They didn't witness the death and resurrection. They doubted that aspect of it. Or they had been taught and believed that with the resurrection, everybody gets resurrected. Everybody comes alive. It's the beginning of the new life, the new creation. And they're looking at Jesus and they're starting, they doubt that. Well, if Jesus has risen from the dead, where is, you know, the new creation? So there is that doubt, possibility. Let's go back to our source that we're working our way through this morning to Matthew and see what we can glean from that. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day, all of the gospel writers will testify that it was on the first day of the week, Sunday, the day after the Sabbath. It's a consistent testimony. Matthew says Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. He has two. It says went to look at the tomb. They didn't go to look at the tomb. They were taking spices and other garments, linen garments, to complete the burial process of the Lord Jesus. What they had seen happen on Friday afternoon, late in the afternoon, four o'clock, five o'clock, 
certainly before six or seven before sundown, that Joseph and Nicodemus had taken the body of the Lord Jesus with permission, had wrapped him up to probably his chest, the normal burial process, all the way around. And then around his head, they would have tied uh, a piece of linen to keep the mouth shut, stop animals or whatever getting in. Um, And they ran out of time. They used something like 75 to 100 pounds of these perfumes and oils and spices and things. They were quite extravagant in what they did because Joseph was a wealthy man. The women saw the job wasn't finished. So they went, they obeyed the Sabbath. At the end of the Sabbath, Saturday night, they go down to Woolworths or Coles or whatever it was they had back in those days and they bought more spices and herbs and ointments and things and they went home, they prepared that. The Sabbath has now ended, Saturday night. They're preparing all this stuff and they intend to arrive the next morning as early as possible to get to the tomb to finish the burial process. That's what Matthew was telling us in verse 1. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary and others went to the tomb to finish this process. We're not told when this happens, but Matthew tells us, and he's the only one who does tell us that it happened. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first... That's the same. No, it's not. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord had come down from heaven and going to the tomb... Remember, there was an earthquake on Friday. Tombs were open. Curtain in the temple was torn in two. There was an earthquake on that day as well. It's almost like God saying, at Jesus' death, there's an earthquake, and the Romans were there. And at Jesus' resurrection, there's an earthquake. If you'd been in two earthquakes in 72 hours, wouldn't you remember it? Make the connection that somehow God was trying to communicate, I think, to these Roman soldiers. But this angel comes down, it's a pretty powerful angel. He rolls back the stone. He goes to the tomb. There's this huge rock, it's thick, it's tall, and he rolls it. What took a couple of men to do, and it's up an incline, and he rolls it up. And if you read Mark's gospel very carefully, he not only rolled it up the track, he actually rolls it out of the track because the stone is away from the tomb. It's not just rolled back from the entrance, it's rolled away from the tomb. Mark tells us that. And then Matthew tells us, and when he rolled it away, he lets it fall, then he sits on it. Why? Well, we're not told. But my imagination, which can be bad, I think he sat on the tomb, and then I think he looked at the soldiers. And what are they doing? They're watching this angel move this thing, and he's like lightning and bright. There's no doubt he's from heaven that he's a special messenger. The guards were so afraid of him They just had an earthquake. That didn't worry him. But when he turned up, they were so afraid of him that they shook, had their own little earthquake going on, and they became like dead men. They became catatonic. They collapsed. They passed out. Fear. I wonder if the angel looked at them. This is my imagination, which, as I said, can sometimes be naughty and silly. I can just imagine. This didn't happen. This is my imagination. He sat on the tomb, on the stone. He looked at the Roman soldiers who on the Friday had gambled for Jesus' what? His robe. I can imagine this angel sitting on the stone and going, he wants the robe back. (laughs) (laughs) They collapse. 
The angel then said to the women, see now it goes to the women, what happened to the soldiers? Well, they collapsed, they're lying there. The women arrive. When they get to the tomb, they see that the stone is rolled away from the tomb. There's no mention. Do they see the soldiers? Because we go on later in the passage, it'll say some of the soldiers, not all of them, some of the soldiers went into the city because the soldiers were duty bound. They were given a job. They were to guard the tomb. They were to stop people coming and stealing the body. They were fearful of the angel, but they were also fearful of Pilate. They had not done their job. And Roman law was quite clear. You failed to do the job, then you pay the penalty. You gave up one of our dead victims, so now therefore you will take his place. They were fearful. They knew it. And they, they also knew it was beyond their control. It wasn't their fault. It was a supernatural being that came down, an angel. He rolled the stone away, scared the heck out of them. And they collapsed. The women come. I wonder if the angel is sitting on the stone where he talks to the women. Not sure. We're not told those sorts of intimate details. But listen to what the angel says. The angel said to the women, don't be afraid. That's a good thing to say. But it's interesting, isn't it? The women don't collapse. Because they believe and follow Jesus to a certain extent. They're not fearful in that sense of scared stiff. But the Roman soldiers were. Interestingly, the angel knows certain things. They observe us. Don't be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus. And I also know, because they observed it, that he was crucified on Friday, uh, previous days. Crucified. Then the angel says, he is not here. If you think about it, that's a statement to the physicality of the resurrection. He is not here. Or where is he? Well, he's somewhere else, but he's not here. I don't know where Jesus was. I don't know where he had gone to. But now there is a, loca a locale to the person of Jesus. He can be here or he can be here. So the angel doesn't say he rose spiritually and he is everywhere. It doesn't say that. He says he is not here. He has risen. Just as he said. If you read Luke chapter 24, then you'll see the angel, in fact, expands that and he reminds them of what Jesus had said when he was in Galilee. And Luke beautifully then says, Luke 24, verse 8, and they remembered his words. They remember, oh yeah, Jesus said that was going, the women got it. They were the first ones to get it. Um, he is not here. He's risen, just as he said. Now, this is really important. This is what I love about this part, particular part of the story. The angel says to the women, if he's sitting on the stone, then he's saying, come and see. Or if he's standing near the tomb, it's come and see. The angel says to the women, come and check it out. Make sure that what I'm telling you is correct. Check it out. Christianity is based upon truth and upon facts, and it can be examined doesn't mean there aren't mysteries to it and it doesn't mean there aren't questions that we can't answer but you, as far as we can we follow Jesus with our understanding and with our volitional commitment because we think and believe that what he did and said is true come and see examine it check out the facts the angel doesn't say don't look in there just believe me just trust me doesn't say that at all just like the Bereans, we are to be people who are thinking and examining to see if these things are so. Come and see. And then once you come and see, when they get inside, 
there's another angel. And just quickly, when they get inside the tomb, Mark tells us they were on the right. There was an angel at the head and there was an angel at the feet. And that's the place where Jesus lay. What does that remind you of? Two angels and a seat in the middle. The mercy seat, like in the Ark of the Covenant. And it's through Jesus' death and resurrection that mercy now comes to us, that we are the recipients of his redemption by the death of Jesus, physically, laid in the tomb, and now risen for our justification. The two angels then repeat, the other angel repeats almost the same message that the other angel had said. So now the women have been told twice, he's not here, he has risen, go tell his disciples that he's going ahead of you to Galilee and there you will see him. And that's exactly then what's going to happen. And the angel finishes in verse 7 of Matthew 28, now I have told you. Now is the English translation in some Bible versions going to say behold. The angel has been sent with a message and when he has delivered the message he gets to the end of it and says now I have told you. Behold I have told you. Pay attention. Listen. Now you have the instructions. The angels always expect, as they do, to fully obey God instantly. In Luke chapter 1, there's an instance where an angel came and spoke to a guy by the name of Zechariah. And when he spoke to Zechariah, he's going to have a son. Zechariah didn't believe. He went, how do I know these things are going to happen? And the angel looks at Zechariah and basically says, my name is Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have told you what God said would happen. In other words, it's true. You should believe it. Because it's from God. God always keeps his word. The angels can't believe, but people don't believe. Now I have told you. And off the women go. Um, <clears throat> so the women hurried away from the tomb. Oh, I am not doing this bit. Sorry. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. Can you have those two emotions, fear and joy? I once asked some, some other people that, and a guy who had just been married says, yes, you can have fear and joy. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? They ran to tell the disciples, this is beautiful. Suddenly, message to anyone who tells us this, Jesus met them. And what does Jesus say? In NIV, it's greetings. It's the normal, ordinary, informal word for greeting another person. Two travellers passing on the road, they would just simply say, what? It's not shalom. It's not peace. They're more formal. This is a hi. This is a hello, uh, morning, or whatever. That's this informal, down to earth. This is Jesus, the risen Lord, greeting these women. I've told you this before, some of you have heard me say this, I think I say it every year now, when I first read it. A little Sunday school girl, when she heard this story, the teacher said to her, what do you think Jesus said to the women the very first time he met them? And the little girl went, oh, I know, I know, I know. What did he say? She went, ta-da. <laughs> he doesn't, he just simply says, hi. Gives us an insight into the character of the Lord Jesus, that he's warm, that he's tender. We do not have a high priest, the author of Hebrews says, who cannot sympathise with us in our weaknesses. 
and then he beautifully, they, they recognise him. Uh, they do two things, notice this. They grasp his feet and they worship him. The two natures of the Lord Jesus. He is physical, fully human, and he is divine. He has feet that you can grab and he is to be worshipped. And Jesus doesn't reject it or rebuke him. He accepts it because he is fully human, fully divine, one person. And then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers. Isn't that beautiful? Don't tell the disciples. They are the disciples, my brothers, part of my family. Uh, to go to Galilee, there they will see me. And that's exactly what they do. While they're gone, the guards obviously race into the city. Some of the guards go into the city. And they don't go to Pilate because that would be a death sentence. They go to the Jewish high priest, the ones they were working for at that time. And when they go and tell them, in fact, they say almost the same thing that the women would have said to the disciples. They probably told the chief priests about the angel that came down, rolled the stone away, and the body is gone. The chief priests, when they hear this, they are not concerned to examine the evidence. In fact, they're more concerned to suppress the evidence, to hide the truth. So they call an emergency meeting of the Sanhedrin. They come together and the council makes a decision. We are going to suppress this. They pay a very large sum of money to the Roman guard. And it would have been a lot of money because there was about a dozen of them. And you had to keep them all quiet. And the soldiers sadly take the money. They've seen the angel, experienced the earthquake. I don't know if they've heard what the angel said, but they have certainly seen the tomb is empty. They've heard Jesus on Friday. They've declared him to be one of the centurion, declared him to be the son. All this evidence is around them, and they ignore that, and they go for the money. People still do that today. They reject the evidence. They're not interested. They don't look into it or whatever is motivating them. They're concerned about this life. The Roman, uh, the Jewish authorities then say, this is what you will say. You will say that while we were asleep, which would have been a death penalty for a Roman guard, while we were asleep, his disciples came and took the body. And everybody knows that's a stupid thing to say, but it's been passed on. Matthew says that is still told amongst the Jews till today. Matthew was written about 30 years later. So for the next three decades, that story is passed around. The effectiveness of their plan seemed to be working. But maybe it was also amongst the Jewish people a bit like Bukharin's thing. of They said it all, but God still did his work. 3,000 people, Jewish people, come to faith in Jesus in one day on the day of Pentecost, 50 days from now. They took the money. And then the passage goes on to tell us uh, whoops! The Lord Jesus gives us the Great Commission. I won't go into that this morning. We know that. It's the resurrection always leads to the Great Commission. If you put those three paragraphs together, you will see there are people who accept the evidence, the women and the disciples. There are people who reject and suppress the evidence, like the Roman guard and the Jewish leaders. But our, those who believe have now been given a mission to tell. Come and see. Examine it. Find out. If it's true... Commit yourself to it. But then you have the responsibility, go and tell. Oops. Because he rose, these things, I need to be quick. Because the Lord Jesus rose on this Sunday, that means God's word is true and reliable, just as he said, the angel said. 
It validates everything that Jesus taught and claimed. Because of Jesus and his resurrection, salvation is now possible for us. That Jesus came to seek and save those who were lost. And he says not even death is going to stop the church being built. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, judgment is coming. Acts 17. It says that God has given an indication that judgment day is coming and is given proof of that by raising the judge from the dead, Jesus. Because Jesus rose from the dead, heaven is waiting. The Lord Jesus says, John 14, my father's house, there are many rooms, many dwelling places. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. Heaven is waiting for those who accept and receive Jesus. Number five, because Jesus rose from the dead, everyone will rise. The Romans and the Jewish people in this story who rejected the evidence, who rejected following Jesus, one day they're dead now, but one day they too will rise again. They will live again. But Jesus taught very clearly. Well, he says, a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice. Everybody will hear his voice and they'll come out. Some to rise to live. Others will rise to be condemned, excluded from his kingdom, from heaven. Your decision now seals your destiny then. And then finally, and importantly for us, because Jesus rose, these women and the disciples and we it can experience joy, changed lives, as well as a sense of community and commitment and belonging together. And we have the responsibility to tell others. What the angel said to the women is the message for us. Come and see, go and tell. And then if we do that, the angel also said, he is going ahead of you. He is preparing to meet with you. And then you will see him. That's our journey as well. He has gone ahead. He is preparing to meet with us. And then we will see him. God bless you on this Easter Sunday. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful truth and the reminder of it. That Jesus Christ, your son, died for us on a cross paying the penalty for our sin, rose for us victorious because death could not hold him. He was without sin. And now because he is risen, we can have forgiveness and life and salvation. We have not only the hope of heaven, but we have changed lives here and now. And we acknowledge and accept our responsibility is not simply to examine the evidence but it's having examined it to inform others and to do so with respect and with gentleness. Lord, give us the opportunity, we pray, to share with others those whom you are calling to yourself. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Boys and girls.